This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. And welcome to Party on the Peninsulas. I'm Lavora Barnes. The word this week? Jobs. Wall Street didn't build the middle class. Labor built the middle class. And the middle class built the country. And when labor does well, everybody does well. President Biden was back in Michigan on Thursday, meeting with auto workers in Macomb County, emphasizing his economic philosophy, growing the economy from the middle out. It was another demonstration that President Biden, the most pro-union, pro-worker president in history, has the backs of Michigan workers. Throughout his entire presidency, President Biden has delivered for Michigan workers, bringing jobs and manufacturing back to our state and ensuring that we are growing the middle class while leading in the global economy. Donald Trump, on the other hand, will say anything to try to rewrite his record of abandoning Michigan workers and creating incentives to ship jobs overseas because he is part of the billionaire class and sees the world from Park Avenue instead of from an assembly plant floor. President Biden's appearance came just a day before release of the latest jobs figures, which showed another 353,000 jobs added to our economy, along with an upward revision of November and December job gains by 126,000 jobs. The January gains were roughly double economists' predictions of 177,000, underscoring how the labor market is propelling the economy forward and firmly out of recession territory. The unemployment rate stayed at 3.7%, a full 75% lower than the peak during the Trump years. Average hourly wage growth accelerated sharply in January, rising by six-tenths of a percent to 34.55 an hour, in part because higher-paying industries boosted their payrolls. Over the past 12 months, hourly wages have risen by 4.5%, raising workers' standard of living, especially the lowest earners. While the Biden administration continues to focus on what is the world's strongest economy, the other side seems obsessed with a pop star and a football player. Their latest fixation, crazy conspiracy theories about Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, the Super Bowl, and the possibility that the pair will be endorsing President Biden's re-election. Republicans love having the open support of B-list celebrities like Ted Nugent, Kid Rock, and John Voight but are appalled and probably terrified that the most popular entertainer on the planet might also have a political opinion. When it comes to issues that impact the lives of average Americans, Republicans seem to have little to offer. And on those rare occasions when they tell us their agenda, it is downright frightening. I'll highlight one of those proposals at the end of the podcast in my weekly Trump outrage segment. Here at Democratic Party headquarters, we're laser-focused on not just the presidential and Senate races, but on contests across the ticket. One of the most important is the election to fill Alyssa Slotkin's seat in Congress. Our candidate is truly outstanding. His name is Curtis Hertel Jr. And in a moment, we will talk with him right after the summary of some of the week's other news on politics and policy with MDP's Dorian Tyus. In the news this week, as signs point to the 2024 presidential election being a repeat of the 2020 race between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump, 
Biden holds a lead over Trump 50 to 44 percent among registered voters in a hypothetical general election matchup, according to a Quinnipiac University national poll of registered voters released Wednesday. In Quinnipiac University's December 20th, 2023 poll, the same hypothetical 2024 general election matchup was, quote, too close to call as President Biden received 47% support and former President Trump received 46% support. In this week's poll, the gender gap is widening. Women, 58 to 36% support Biden, up from December when it was 53-41%. President Joe Biden's 2024 campaign flipped former President Donald Trump's excuses for his verbal stumbles right back at him in a new ad. The 60-second ad, which runs on Trump's True Social site, features multiple Trump stumbles and the Republican frontrunner's claims that he does it purposely or because he speaks in long, complex sentences. Biden asks in speech footage that is featured towards the end of the clip, quote, have you noticed he's a little confused these days, end quote. The video concludes with reports that Trump is rattled by Biden's efforts to get under his skin. There's a link to the campaign ad on our website. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is defying a U.S. Supreme Court order, which reinforces federal jurisdiction over border control. In language echoing the claims of the Confederacy leading into the Civil War, Abbott issued a statement threatening to stonewall the Supreme Court order, much as then President Richard Nixon did when subpoenaed for White House tape recordings during the Watergate investigation. And to make matters worse, Representative Chip Roy, Republican from Texas, advised Abbott to ignore the justices and tell the court to go to hell. Other Republican lawmakers joined in with similar sentiments. Dozens of governors from red states, many with no international borders with Mexico, signed a statement supporting Abbott. In an evenly divided Michigan House of Representatives, the Democratic campaign arm outraged Republicans, but the GOP caucus ended last year with more cash on hand, according to finance reports filed on Wednesday. Every seat in the state house is up for re-election this year. The Michigan House Democratic Fund raised more than $4.4 million in 2023, compared to the House Republican Campaign's committee's more than $4.2 million. But House Democrats ended the year with just over $3.5 million in cash on hand, compared to Republicans' $4.1 million as Democrats try to keep control of the state house. Former President Donald Trump is diverting enormous sums of donor money to his mounting legal fees as he faces multiple lawsuits and 91 felony charges across four criminal cases. The new figures for his legal spending were outlined in campaign disclosures filed with the Federal Elections Commission on Wednesday night. Two of Trump's committees, Save America Leadership PAC and the Make America Great Again PAC, spent $55.6 million on legal bills in 2023, including $29.9 million in the second half of the year, according to the new reports. United States Representative Alyssa Slocken has outraised a dozen other candidates combined in her bid to replace retiring United States Senator Debbie Stabenow, a race that is expected to generate national interest as Republicans attempt to flip the upper chamber. The third-term representative raised more than $2.8 million between September and the end of December, according to her new disclosure report. 
She has now pulled in more than $11.6 million total since declaring for the race in February 2023. By comparison, the 12 other United States Senate candidates to report contributions have disclosed a combined $6.1 million in funding for the election cycle. Future Forward, a super PAC supporting President Biden's re-election campaign, said it will reserve $250 million in ads aimed at voters in battleground states on television, cable, and streaming services. The super PAC said that this effort dwarfs the $140 million it spent on its media campaign in 2020, when it was the largest outside advertiser helping Biden's candidacy. The 10-week advertising blitz will begin August 23rd, the day after the Democratic National Convention ends and continue to run through Election Day on November 5th. The ads will target voters in battleground states, including Michigan, Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, plus Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. The Super PAC said it hopes to reach younger voters who may not be following politics closely, as well as Spanish speakers and Black voters. A new poll from the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research finds that 35% of U.S. adults call the national economy good. That's an uptick from 30% late last year and up from 24% a year ago. While 65% still call the economy poor, that's also an improvement from a year ago when 76% called it poor. President Joe Biden and his aides have taken to highlight economic positives as consumer sentiment has rebounded. Biden is also drawing an open contrast with Donald Trump. Trump supporters remember his tenure with pride for how the economy fared, but his term was marred by job losses tied to the coronavirus pandemic. Trump was the first president since Herbert Hoover to have negative job growth during his time in office. Link to these and other stories are on our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. For Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyatt. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee has released its first list of priority contests targeting 17 districts that either have Republicans in seats carried by Joe Biden in 2020 or are competitive open seats. One of those priority seats is Michigan's 7th District, where Curtis Hertel is campaigning to succeed Alyssa Slotkin as she campaigns for the U.S. Senate. As Governor Gretchen Whitmer's Director of Legislative Affairs, he led the state through passing bipartisan legislation that cut taxes for seniors and working families, expanded workers' rights, and won additional new investments in advanced manufacturing that are already bringing good-paying jobs to mid-Michigan and across the state. He was also instrumental in passing legislation that repealed the archaic 1931 law that banned abortion in Michigan, even in cases of rape and incest. In the legislature, Hertel led the fight to preserve Michigan's status as the world leader in auto manufacturing and bring thousands of next-generation electric vehicle jobs to mid-Michigan by working with Democrats and Republicans to help pass the legislation that won GM's $6.5 billion investment in the Delta and Orion Township battery cell and electric vehicle plant. He talked about his campaign and what he's hearing from voters with our Walt Sorg. Curtis Hertel, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. 
Let's start off with the reaction you're getting as you go door to door. You've been at this now for several weeks since announcing your candidacy. How's the campaign going? No, I feel good. We've got a tremendous amount of support from all over the district. I think what's important is the conversations we're having with voters. We've been every fair, festival, farmer's market, chamber of commerce meeting across the district. And we're actually meeting people, talking to them, looking them in the eye, telling them what we care about, listening to what they care about. Certainly, all those things are important parts of the campaign, but what's most important is going out and talking to voters, and we're doing that every single day, and I feel like we're outworking my opponent, which is, to me, the most important part of any campaign. As you talk with the people in the 7th District, what do they want to talk about? What are the issues that are on their minds? I think people want to talk about this country. I think that there's a frustration that they feel they haven't been listened to. And we're having those conversations quite a bit. There's a frustration that Washington doesn't get anything done. I think they want people that are part of Team Normal, that are willing to work across the aisle and get good things done for people and want us to be a little more focused on them than we are our own political future. They're excited about manufacturing and jobs coming back to this community. Uh, I help lead the effort to bring the GM battery plant here and the, the 5,000 jobs that it created, my opponent voted against it. They also want to talk about freedom. I think that they're really worried about freedom in this country. We saw the Supreme Court take an important freedom away from women, the right to their own bodies. And the Democratic Party has uh, done a poor job of, of marketing ourselves as the party of freedom. We are the party of freedom. And we got to have that conversation with people. So I'm excited about having those conversations. I'm excited about the response. And we just got to keep working, having those conversations with people across the district. Alyssa Slotkin was famous for getting a lot of crossover votes, a lot of Republicans, a lot of independents put her in office. In fact, your district was carried by Donald Trump, yet uh, she won rather convincingly over Tom Barrett, who you're running against now. How do you read that? I think people want to talk about this country. I think that there's a frustration that they feel they haven't been listened to, and we're having those conversations quite a bit. There's a frustration that Washington doesn't get anything done. I think they want people that are part of Team Normal, that are willing to work across the aisle and get good things done for people, and want us to be a little more focused on them than we are our own political future. They're excited about manufacturing and jobs coming back to this community. Uh, I help lead the effort to bring the GM battery plant here and the, the 5,000 jobs that it created. My opponent voted against it. They also want to talk about freedom. I think that they're really worried about freedom in this country. We saw the Supreme Court take an important freedom away from women, the right to their own bodies. And the Democratic Party has uh, done a poor job of, of marketing ourselves as the party of freedom. We are the party of freedom. And we, we got to have that conversation with people. So I'm excited about having those conversations. I'm excited about the response. And we just got to keep working, having those conversations with people across the district. I find it very encouraging for folks who are part of the pro-democracy coalition, to hear that's what people are talking about. I think we've seen a preponderance of evidence over the last year in special elections and the regular elections that were held in some of the states like Kentucky and other places that showed that Democratic candidates outperformed the narrative, outperformed the pre-election polls in that voters get what's going on, that they're seeing issues, they're seeing threats, they're understanding who is on their side and who is trying to erode their freedoms and their liberties. 
And that seems to be manifesting itself in the way they're voting if it isn't breaking through in the kind of the national media narrative. And so I think the long way of saying you are confirming that you're hearing on the ground that same kind of evidence that's manifested itself at election polls in special elections and elections in other states during the last year. And I think that should be heartening to all those who are concerned about either electing Democrats or defeating Republicans. And I'd be pretty damn worried about this climate if I was a Republican candidate, looking at the way the economy is trending up, mortgage rates coming down, consumer confidence solidifying and increasing, the markets going up. There's just so many things that bode well for stability and normalcy as we head into the next year. And Republicans certainly aren't representing either of those lately. I think there are a lot of people who don't identify with a party that do identify with the idea that they just want somebody to be on their side and that they're just tired of the chaos of what's been going on. Washington only passed like 26 bills this last year. The idea that not every every problem has a bill for it, but the idea that they're just so tired of what looks like partisan bickering and the inability to actually focus on the, the, the wants and needs and what's happening in America. So to me, I think that it's not a Republican and Democrat. For them, it's team normal. And I think that if we give them the opportunity, if we talk about the things that actually matter, if we actually go out and make those arguments and shake those hands, I think that there is a tremendous opportunity in this election, but we got to go out and actually do the work. And to me, that's the most important part. Your district as a state senator and now as a candidate for Congress includes Michigan State University, where, of course, they had the horrendous. I know that gun safety has been a big part of your agenda, your policy agenda for many, many years now. What are your thoughts on gun safety legislation and how it relates to the 7th District? Absolutely. My son was at Michigan State University. He was walking into the union. He called me in the chaos. I will tell you that I don't know if I've ever experienced real fear in my life than when your own child calls you in the middle of chaos, people screaming. I was on the phone with him for an hour. He asked me at one point what to barricade in front of a door. A horrendous night, two o'clock in the morning when we were finally able to get to campus. Other families never got to see their child again. And I'm proud that I worked with Governor Whitmer and the legislature to pass a real gun safety law here in Michigan. What I can tell you is that in this case, not in every case, but in this case, those laws would have saved lives. This person had a history of his family asking for his guns to be taken away, a history of everyone knowing that a problem was going to happen, that somebody was going to get hurt, whether it be him or others, but knowing that it was going to happen and the inability for government to do anything to protect people. And it culminated in this terrible disaster. And so I'm proud of what we did. And I think that's what people are responding to. The fact that before we had terrible things that happened in Michigan, what happened in, in Oxford, and the legislature literally did nothing. Republicans refused to do anything to change the laws, change the rules, to make it just a little harder to hurt our kids. I'm really proud of that. And forget a legislator and everything else. As a father, as someone who saw what that tragedy did to my child, to see what it did to our community, stepping up was the right thing to do. 
And I think that's what citizens want from their government. They're tired of lip service, talking about problems and making it a political issue. Just putting your boots on, going to work and finding a way to get it done. And so that's what I think the biggest difference between me and my opponent in this race is. We have a problem with jobs in our community. Well, then we, we're going to bring a battery plant. We're going to actually bring those jobs into our community. We want to protect people's freedoms. We want to find ways to make people's lives a little better. That's what serving in government should be about. It's not about Twitter and Facebook or CNN or Fox News or, or any of those things. The reason why we serve, the reason why it's worth it to go through the trials and tribulations of a campaign is because you believe that you can make people's lives better. And that's exactly what happened in terms of gun safety laws in this state. I'm proud of the work that was done. And I was proud to play a, a part in negotiating, getting it done. It's going to change people. It's going to save people's lives. We will never know the lives that are saved because of actions that were taken. By all measurements, the economy of the United States is doing really well right now and has been for many, many months. Yet the president's approval rating on the economy is very low, and there's still a lot of pessimism about the economy reflected in the polls. Why do you think we have that disconnect between the reality of the economy and the perceptions of the economy? First of all, I think that the, the pain that they're feeling, you look at when 1960, the average CEO made about 50 times what their employee made, pretty good. And now it's 360 times. And it was easier to send your kid to college without graduating in debt. I think the, the strain on the middle class is real. It's not just recent, though. What I think is important is that we're investing in people in their lives and making their lives better. For example, the efforts of the president, the efforts of the governor and myself to bring jobs back to these communities. If you had told us that we were going to be insourcing manufacturing back from other countries a decade ago, you would have told us all we were crazy. They didn't think that would actually happen. And Michigan and America are on the comeback because of it. We're bringing good quality, good paying jobs back, back to a community. And that doesn't just help the people that get those jobs. It helps the people that own the bars and the rest of the best bars in Lansing around old uh, auto plants. And so it's bringing jobs and opportunity to them. It's helping bring kids into our schools. It's helping give people a fair wage so they can actually have a future, a future for their family. Those are the things that are happening. And I understand the frustration of not happening fast enough. We got to keep pushing on all those things. I think that's incredibly important. What we did in Michigan was make those investments and also give the largest middle-class tax cut in history. And I think we can do that at a national level as well. I think that we have an opportunity to actually make raising a family a little bit easier in America. This generation is the slowest generation in history to start a family. And we act like it's because of choices they make. It's not just that. So I think this president and this governor have started that. I think we need to continue it. I think we, we need to bring good paying jobs back into our communities and we need to compete on a international level. Michigan is the perfect place to do that. By the way, we got workers that know how to do it. We built the middle class. Michigan actually fed the world for a long time with our agriculture. We built the arsenal of democracy here and we built the middle class all at the same time. The biggest thing the Republicans get it wrong is that they convince people that there are choices. We have to choose between clean energy and jobs. 
between people building a family and all these other things. All of that is a lie. This country is great because we chose to do and. We chose to beat the Nazis in World War II and to build the interstate highway system all at the same time. That's why we're great. The reason why this country is great is because we have been the march towards a more perfect union, uh, the march towards what Dr. King said was bending the moral arc of justice. That's the story of America. And we got to keep telling that story. And I think that where we've lost it is we've allowed people to convince us that they have to choose between those things, that if we, if we invest in clean energy, that it's taking jobs away from Americans. That's, that's insane. Clean energy jobs are one of the largest growing sector of good paying jobs in America. So we got to start saying the question they're asking is wrong, right? That there is no choice there. The only choice is to move America and move Michigan forward. And we do that by actually making investments in people, making investments in these jobs and increasing the people's freedoms. That's how we actually put America on the right track. And I think that's the conversation we need to be having with Americans. Curtis Hertel, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast and best of luck to you on the campaign trail. As always, thanks for having me on and uh, appreciate everything you do to support democracy. This week's Trump outrage, he wants to raise the cost of just about everything you buy. How? Trump has publicly said he'd slap a 10% import fee on everything. He also reportedly wants to impose a staggering 60% tariff on all imports from China. Trump says other countries pay those tariffs. The truth? It will be Americans who pay the tariffs through much higher prices. One prominent political leader put it this way, quote, it's going to raise the cost of anything from baby strollers to appliances under Donald Trump. Middle-class families can't afford that. Who was that political leader? Republican Nikki Haley. Economists say those tariffs would create a huge wave of inflation and could well throw the U.S. economy into a recession. The reckless proposal to start an international trade war is just one example of why a second Trump presidency would be a disaster for America and for the world. And that's this week's update from your Democratic Party. I'm Lavora Barnes. Thank you for listening. Paid for by the Michigan Democratic Party, 606 Townsend, Lansing, Michigan, 48933.